Well, I want to add my word of uh, welcome to you. If you're visiting with us, we definitely welcome you to Martha Bowman. We're excited that you're here on this wonderful day. You know, when it rains on a Sunday, I remember this scripture in Isaiah where it says, where the rain comes down and waters the earth and causes it to bear and sprout. So shall my word be, saith the Lord, that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which I sent. So on Sunday mornings where it's raining, I'm thinking, Lord, you know, people don't like to get out in the rain, but your word has gone forth and may it return not unto you void, but may it accomplish the purpose you sent. So I, there is God's faithful even in the midst of a rainy Sunday morning, but uh, welcome, welcome. And I want to add my uh, greetings to all the mamas and uh, happy Mother's Day. Very blessed to have my mom. She's here in the very back. Uh, uh, mom, would you stand and wave with everybody? Marilyn Magoni, it's good to have mom with us. And uh, my youngest brother, Paul, they came over on Friday. So this is Paul. I embarrass him all the time, but that's Paul. He, he brought mom over. And then two of our three girls, Elizabeth in Atlanta and then Katie in Birmingham. So we're glad to have you guys with us. Uh, Fran and I have been blessed to have them home. Uh, it's been just a joy to have them. And so, um, you know, my mom is an amazing woman. And uh, there are people that you truly see Jesus in when Jesus lives in our heart and we follow him and we do what he's called us to do. We have the opportunity, the privilege to reflect him. And my mom has truly done that all my life. She, uh, she has been uh, a great example to me of someone who walks with the Lord. Uh, she is, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay my life down as a ransom for many. And my mom has truly served in lots of different ways, not only our family, but in her vocation, she was a physical therapist and, and took care of many, most of that, uh, other than the military time, uh, children with disabilities. And uh, just to see her love kids and love people and help them in a very practical way. Uh, just, Mom, you've been a great example to me. And I, I love you. Very blessed, very blessed. Um, so happy Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, not everybody has that testimony, and I understand that. We understand Mother's Day can be a very difficult day for a lot of women. Uh, some women are not mothers because they've chosen to. Some women are not mothers because of circumstances beyond their control. And that can be very painful and very difficult. But on a day that we do celebrate mothers, we want you to know, ladies, how grateful we are for your influence in our life and your love and your sacrifice. And uh, for the women that aren't mothers, they still have that powerful opportunity to influence for good and to be a role model and one that we can look to and say, I appreciate who that person is and I want to be like them. Well, we are in the third week, actually, of our sermon series, as Matt said, Sticks and Stones. Uh, I remember the first time I heard that phrase, I was in elementary school on the playground and one of my classmates, a little girl said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And when she said that, I was like, what's going on? And I found out that there was a group of girls that were picking on her. They were making fun of her. They were calling her names. They're being really mean. And she said that. And that's a phrase that she didn't coin. I mean, it's been around for generations. But we know that when we say that, or when she attempted to, to say that to these girls to get a change of, of response and how they treated it, the hope was that, yes, you may hit me with a stick, and it will cause physical pain. It might even cause a bruise. Yes, you may hit me with a stone, 
and it might hurt me, might even cut my skin. But the hope she was putting it is that your words don't cause physical pain to me. You know, so if they understood that and heard that, then hopefully she was thinking they're going to stop saying those hurtful words, those mean words, because if they think it doesn't hurt me, then maybe they won't use those words against me anymore. Um, and we understand that that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is only a half-truth. Those words do not have the ability to physically injure us like a stick or a stone. We, we don't get pain from that. But we do know that words have great power, that words can truly injure not our physical body, but our soul and our spirit. And these words, as the Scripture says, are life and death. So if you'll take your order of service or your, your bulletin there, uh, we've been looking at these two foundational Scriptures. The first one's from Proverbs chapter 18. The very first part of verse 21 from the New Living Translation, it says, the tongue can bring death or life. If you fill in those blanks, the first one is death or life. So words can bring life. They can bring death. They can be very hurtful to us. And we understand that. And Fran's been talking to you about um, the negative side of this. You know, we don't want to lie to one another. But the positive side, we want to always tell the truth. And then the other uh, sermon, as she's talked about, you know, complaining and words of grumbling and, and how that can bring us down. And so uh, we want to speak life. And we'll talk about that this morning, about uh, encouraging one another. The second verse there that's been foundational for this sermon series is Luke 6, 45, and that's the second part of that verse where Jesus says, what you say, and that's the first fill in the blank, flows from what is in your heart, and that's the second fill in. And what Fran was saying was that we don't necessarily have a mouth problem. What we say, yes, that is a part of it, but where does it flow from? Where does it come from? Where's the source and the origin of our words? Jesus said it's from our heart from the core of who we are so we speak that which comes from our heart so life and death are in the power of the tongue and also from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks are the two scriptures that we we are using as a foundation so this morning when I think about uh, words of encouragement and, and, and being an encourager uh, I want us to look at a couple of other scriptures and uh, if you're taking notes write down first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 where Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. So encourage one another, build one another up with not only our words but with our deeds. And then the scripture that we have in our bulletin this morning is from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. It says, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we know that we're in a spiritual battle uh, for the souls of men and women. And uh, there are forces out there trying to derail you and get you off track and discourage you in your faith and keep you from doing what God's called you to do. And we can build one another up, encourage one another day after day so those people don't lose heart. Those people don't uh, get hardened by the things that are coming against us to get us off track. And so encourage one another day after day. Uh, in Romans chapter 15, Paul writes and he talks about how the word of God, the scriptures bring us encouragement, bring us hope. And then the writer of Hebrews talks about how God does not lie. He tells the truth. We can trust him. 
And so we can have hope and encouragement in the things that God tells us. So the words of God are powerful. They speak forth life and abundance. And when you and I hold on to those, it brings us encouragement, even in the midst of waiting for that to come about. There's so many other places in the Word of God where Paul is encouraging the churches, scriptures that, that talk about encouraging one another. There's times when Paul sends someone to a church and says, I want to hear what's going on in your world. So I, when I hear about the report, it will encourage me. It will lift my spirit. Uh, and then he wants to give them a report. So he sends men and, and women to those churches saying, here's what's going on. Here's how the kingdom of God is expanding. So draw encouragement how God is at work all throughout the world. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see God telling Moses at the end of Moses' ministry. He brings them to the promised land. They're about to go in and take the promised land. Moses doesn't go in with them. But Joshua has been raised up, Moses' right-hand man, to take them into the promised land. And God tells Moses several times, encourage Joshua. Strengthen this man. Speak words of life to him. So when he takes my people into this possession that I've promised them all the way back to Abraham, he'll be strong. So speak to him words of encouragement, Moses, and he did. Now, there's another example in the Old Testament I want to lift up to you real quick, and that is uh, David. David was going to be the second king of Israel. Now, the first king, Saul, had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan was a great warrior. David was a great warrior, and they became friends. And they were very close. They had such a dear, close friendship and care for one another uh, the scripture even speaks of that relationship, how strong it was. So Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne. He's going to be the next king. But in God's economy, it was like, nope, Jonathan, nothing against you, but there's someone else I want to be king, and that's David. And Jonathan understands that. So Jonathan goes and encourages David, strengthens David, and says, man, you're, Mark Magoni translation, you're going to be the next king. And I'm behind you. I'm going to support you. I'm not going to want the throne. I want you to do what God's called you to do. I want you to succeed. So anything I can do to help you, I'm going to help you. I'm behind you 100%. And that's unselfish on Jonathan's part. And that's looking at the big picture and saying, God, whatever you want is what I want. And so there's lots of other examples of encouragement in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, I want, to look at, I want us to look at one fella that really embodies what it means to encourage. So if you and I are supposed to encourage one another every day, as long as it's still called the day, which the Scripture teaches us, let's learn from somebody who really has done a good job at this, and let's embrace some of these things we learn from this person so you and I can be the best encourager we can be. Now, this guy's name is Joseph, and we're introduced to him in Acts chapter 4. We find out that he's a Levite. We find out also that he's from Cyprus, which is a very small island. That's where he was, grew up, and he was raised there. And he's uh, a leader in the church. He's put his faith in Jesus. He's a wealthy man. He's got all kind of uh, property, and uh, he believes in Jesus. And this man is such an encourager. This man brings such faith and joy and life wherever he goes, wherever, wherever he is. People are like, man, I feel better just because Joseph's been around us. And this was a part of this guy's character, so much so that the Bible says the apostles called him by a different name. They said, yeah, we know your name's Joseph, but you know what? Because of who you are, how you live, what exudes from your life, we're going to call you Barnabas. Because Barnabas means son of encouragement. 
So the apostles didn't call him by his given name. They said, you know what, who you are, how you live, that, that's what we're going to call you. Nothing, nothing wrong with your name. Your name wasn't bad. I don't mind calling you Joseph. Good name. You know, Jesus is earthly father. Didn't have anything to do with his birth. But, but he was Joseph. There's a guy in the Old Testament, pretty powerful guy. Nothing wrong with your name. But you are such an encouragement. That's what we're going to call you. So we find out in, in Acts chapter 4 that we're introduced to this guy named Barnabas. Uh, and he sold some property that he had because there was needs in the church. People were getting saved. The church was growing. Things were exciting. But some of the folks getting saved and being a part of the community of faith were doing poorly. They didn't have a lot of resources. They were suffering. They were hurting. Sometimes there was persecution involved with it. But there were needs in the church. And there's still needs today, amen? I mean, you go anywhere in the world, point your finger on a map where there's people living, there's going to be need. It hasn't changed. And so what the church members were doing that had a little bit of extra, they would bring the proceeds maybe from selling property like Barnabas did. Uh, they, they might, you know, in our day and time, you might do lots of things to, to, to have money. And, and, and they were bringing it. And so Barnabas sold some land. And he gave it to the apostles and said, take care of the needs of the people that are in our community. When you and I lift the spirits of someone by doing something like that, it brings encouragement so much so when their physical needs are met, then what does it do? It opens our ears to hear the gospel. If you come to someone and you try to tell them about Jesus Christ, how he'll forgive your sins and all the wonderful truths of the scriptures, but they are hungry, they don't have clothes, they, they don't really have a nice place to live, it is very, very difficult for someone in that setting to listen to you and to hear the gospel. When our kids go to Tijuana, and we'll send a team in October, our staff went earlier this year, but when Griff and Elsie take a group of our teenagers and the adult chaperones, when they go to Tijuana, part of the ministry, that they do a wide range of ministries in that area. But one of the things they do, they go into the neighborhoods. And they meet practical needs that these neighbors have. They do that. Ah, there's hygiene ministry. They're washing hair. They're washing feet. They're, they're, they're fixing the girl's hair. Ah, there's food ministry. Ah, families come and they get food that can almost feed them for an entire week. They do other things. And meeting these, they have fresh clothes, clean clothes for the children and for the adults. And so when you start meeting those practical needs, what does it do to their spirits? Ah, man, we can eat this week. Wow, my son has some shoes. Or wow, he's got a clean shirt that doesn't have holes in it. That makes them feel better about who they are. And then there's always a gospel message connected to a local church. So these people in these communities can go and be a part of God's family. But they hear the gospel. And because of their needs are being met, practical needs, they'll listen. And it's a powerful, powerful ministry. And our folks have seen it year in and year in as our, as our people have gone and loved on those. But Barnabas did that. So how can you and I be an encouragement by using what God's given us to help meet practical needs in people's lives? Something I want the Holy Spirit to tell us. The second thing we see, Barnabas, uh, he loves the Lord. He's preaching the gospel and uh, he meets a guy that has had a huge life change. And he doesn't dismiss it like everybody else, but he sits down and he listens to this individual. 
You know, when you have somebody sit down and listen to you, that's a great gift. Sometimes my wife, when she's got something going on, she wants to tell me about it and I want to listen to her. And she says, Mark, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. Because what we do as husbands, we want to get in that fix-it mode. Amen? You know what I'm talking about, Terry? I mean, we want to get in there. You know, well, we can do this. Let's do that. You know, oh, how about that person do that? You know, I'm, you, know you, just, you just get all Sometimes, uh-uh. I just need you to listen. Just listen. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to give me advice. Just listen. And that encourages us when people listen to our situation and understand what's going on in our world. Now, who was the guy that Barnabas did that to? His name was Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. Now, you might remember his story, and I'll tell it to you real quickly. He loved the Lord that we understand in the Old Testament. He didn't believe in Jesus. As a matter of fact, he was offended that people called Jesus God because Paul knew that, that Jesus hung on a cross. And the Scriptures tell us that cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So Jesus knew, I mean, Paul knew that when Jesus was nailed to that cross, he was cursed. And how could he be God in the flesh? How could he be God? He is not God in Paul's mind, Saul's mind. And he was so passionate about his relationship with Almighty God, he was going to do everything he could to stop this movement, this early movement of Christianity. So anytime he could, he would have people arrested and put into prison for blasphemy for saying that Jesus was God, that Jesus was raised from the dead. How dare you say that? How dare you blaspheme my God? And so he's so passionate, so intense, that, that the Christians are freaking out over this guy because he is putting people in jail left and right. People are dying because he's having them put to death. And, and, and he leaves the area of Jerusalem and goes up to northern Israel to a town called Damascus. And he's on his way with letters from the, from the authority of Rome to arrest any Christian that he meets and even put them to death. So Paul is doing everything he can to stomp out Christianity. And so he, Paul, Saul, is on the road and he meets Jesus. The risen Jesus appears to Saul. And Saul's like, whoa. You really are alive. You really are God. And you were cursed. Because you took my sin when you're on the cross. And God took the sin of all of humankind. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin on our behalf that we might become righteous. And all of His understanding of what we call our Old Testament, in the light of Christ and seeing through the lens of, of reality, He began to realize this makes sense. The sacrificial system, the high priest understanding of what the priest would do and how Jesus fulfills all of that. The light comes on in, in Paul's mind and he's like, oh, now I truly understand what God is doing in the world. And he fell in love with Christ as he repented of his sin and said, Jesus, you truly are God. Forgive me for the persecution that I've extended to your people for the, for the death of so many that I've caused. I believe in you. I'm going to live for you. So when he gets to Damascus, all the Christians are like, whoa, whoa, we don't have anything to do with you. You're, you're that guy that kills everybody. You're the guy that puts people in prison. We know who you are. And, and so some of the Jews, because they were so mad at Saul for changing, they want to kill him. 
And they have to lower him out of the wall that surrounded that particular town for protection in a big basket. And then he goes back to Jerusalem. And he's starting to try to fellowship with all the Christians. And they're like, we don't want anything to do with you. You're going to trick us. You're going to throw us in jail. But Barnabas. But Barnabas. I could just see him. Hey, come here, Saul. Come talk to me. Tell me what happened. I want to listen. And he listened. And he said, oh, this really did happen. You're not trying to fool us, to trick us, to get those in jail. You really met Jesus. And it all makes sense to you now. Whereas before, you, you were passionate and zealous, but you were misguided. Now you understand. So Barnabas takes Saul to the apostles and introduces him to Peter and the other guys, to Thomas. And I bet Saul, Paul probably said, hey, Thomas, yeah, I touched the holes in his hand. And yeah, I saw where the spear went in his side so the soldiers could make sure he really was dead on the cross. And guess what Jesus told me? And I'm sure they compared notes. Barnabas listened to Paul. How can we listen to someone that God gives us the opportunity to listen to? Don't fix it <laughs> unless they ask. But how can we listen? I believe we'll be an encourager. And finally, we see that uh, because Paul and Barnabas were such good friends, God, through the Holy Spirit, in a prayer meeting says, I want you to set these two men apart. And they're going to go and start making disciples all throughout the world. So the church lays hands on Barnabas and Paul, and they send them out. And they go on what in the book of Acts is called the first missionary journey. So these men are going to different towns, and they're proclaiming the gospel, and miracles are happening, and great things are happening. These two traveling companions, these two buddies, these two guys that love Jesus are going and doing all kind of great things for the Lord. And it's so exciting. And Gentiles are coming to the faith. People that weren't Jewish in their tradition and in their heritage, they're coming to know Christ. And it's exciting. And the church is like, what do we do with all these new people that are converting to Christianity? You know, do we make them a good Jew first and then they become a Christian? And there's this big dilemma. Do we have all the men circumcised? Do we have them fulfill the law and do all the things that we were doing? And the church council in Acts 15 said, you know what? No, 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 no. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's not based on the works that we do but it's faith alone. And the council said, you guys go and make sure you tell everybody. It's through faith in what Christ did on the cross that you're saved. Help the Jews understand that are converted, that the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled a lot of those things. And they're not, we're not bound. You don't have to bring a lamb anymore, a goat for, for a sacrifice for sins. You just come to God and you just confess and the blood of Jesus forgives you and, and all those powerful things. So they're so excited about what happened with the church council. And they decided, why don't we go back to visit those churches that we started and see how those young Christians are doing. So Barnabas tells Paul, great idea. Hey, why, why don't we take John Mark? Because he was with us at the, on the first one for a little while. And Paul said, eh, no, I don't want to take him. Because he left us. He didn't stay with us the whole time. So in Paul's mind, he's thinking, this guy's a deserter. This guy's not loyal. This guy's not faithful. I can't trust him. I don't want him going with me on our what we, they call the second missionary journey. 
So what does Barnabas do? The third way he encourages that we see in Scripture. He takes John Mark and he said, why don't you come with me? And then Paul chooses a guy named Silas. And Paul and Silas go into the world and preach. And Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, follows Paul and Silas. And the neat thing about the book of Acts is you start reading it, you see Luke explaining things, explaining things, and then he starts saying, and we did this, and we did that. And Luke was a part of that mission. Now let's say, what if if Luke said, you know, Barnabas, why don't I travel with you? And Barnabas went with John Mark, and, and Luke went with John Mark. Then he could have written so many similar things that we have in, in the book of Acts. But he went with Paul. So what did that do for John Mark? That Barnabas believed in him. And he said, why don't you come along me and why don't we travel and preach the gospel and make disciples of all the world? Well, we find out and most scholars believe that the writer of the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the second gospel, is this young man that Barnabas said, no, you aren't worthless. No, you do have value. No, you can come with me, and I am going to trust you. I do believe in you. God has great things in store for you to use you to do great things. And that encouragement for John Mark might have been what it took for him to be the great writer of the book that we call Mark about the life of Jesus. And Barnabas takes uh, John Mark, and they go and they preach. We know that John Mark had a relationship with Peter because in one of uh, the letters that Peter wrote, he mentions John Mark in very uh, affectionate terms, uh, just like a child in the faith. Uh, Most scholars believe that Peter is the one that gave Mark a lot of the information that he writes in his gospel, so there's a very close relationship there. So one of the pillars of the church, Peter, embraces this young man. Barnabas has embraced him, and this guy comes and does great things for the kingdom. Who can you and I believe in? Who do you know that just maybe they're down and out? Maybe they're discouraged. Maybe they've had a failure. But you can encourage. I can encourage by believing and trusting and saying, you know what? You can do what God's called you to do. Or you know what? Just because you failed doesn't mean you're a failure. Just because you didn't do well in this situation doesn't mean that's going to be your pattern all throughout life. I believe in you. I look to you and I see great potential. And you speak those words of encouragement. You speak those words of faith. And then you you bring them alongside. Now let me just conclude by saying, you know, sometimes good things don't always happen. You step out in faith for someone who hasn't done well. You step out in faith and you believe it. And that person might not continue to choose to do well. I know members of our church who tried to reach out and help folks. And it just didn't, that person just didn't receive that help. But God wants us to be that encourager. I want to thank you for encouraging me and Fran. Uh, we get letters, we get emails, we get hugs, we get all kinds of words of encouragement on a regular basis, and I want to thank you for that. I want to tell you one, one story, and then we'll close and prepare for communion. Two weeks ago, this lady came up to Fran after the, the uh, service and said, uh, Fran, I, I woke up at 2 o'clock, this was Saturday morning, I woke up at 2 o'clock this morning, and I couldn't go back to sleep. So I prayed for you for over an hour and then I got sleepy and went back to sleep <laughs> and now I'm at church uh, but Fran told me we got back home and you know we were kind of talking about the morning and how the services were going and, and she told me that story and she said Mark when that woman told me 
that what she chose to do that night when she woke up and couldn't go back to sleep was to pray for me and to pray for me for over an hour. She said, I was so humbled. I was so blown away. I was so encouraged. You just don't know. Y'all do that for us all the time. And we want to do that for you. Because God says, encourage one another day after day. Today, while it's still called today. 